0: Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's Teaching Podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Good. Awesome. I'm Jonathan, and uh, I'm one of the the staff here at Revolution 22, and I stand here under the authority of God and His Word and the elders that God has placed in our church here. I'm really thankful for this chance for us to, for us to look at God's Word and, and learn from, His, from Scripture. <clears throat> so, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you must have seen that uh, we've been talking through why we exist as a church in Boise, Idaho, and we, we say this very often, love God, love others, love God, love others, and... Uh, We've been learning about what it is to love God for the last couple of weeks. And this is the last week in this series, so today we'll focus on what it is to love others. And just so you know, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have folks back, that will get you a Bible if you need a copy. If you have a smartphone, that's fine, too. So in 2013, okay, something very special happened to, to me. I received a mail from the Department of Homeland Security. It was, it was my, my official certificate of citizenship. The cool thing was that it meant that I had to realize that I no longer was a citizen of India because the Indian government would not let us have dual citizenship. So I had to forego the Indian citizenship to embrace the American citizenship. Okay, and a few months later, I got another package from the mail from the Department of Homeland Security. It wasn't a birthday card. Um, It was my passport, my very first American passport. I remember opening it very carefully, right? And even smelling it to see what it smells like. And it just dawned on me that everything I had learned about the laws and regulations and how things happened in India were all old story. That now I had to embrace this new country, right? The new laws that I had to follow as much as you guys follow. And I had to embrace this, this change. And the reason why I want to share this with you is because this is the fact that no matter what passport you and I hold, that's in your closet or on your fire safe, right? It doesn't matter what passport you have. We all are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We belong to a kingdom that's not of this earth. And our lifestyle, the way we love and care for people around us should look that way. And sadly what happens is that we end up fighting with one another on social media and in person in discussing how to love people. You know, I know this topic is a, is a big one and my desire is not here to, to sway you in either way in your political standing, okay? I don't really care who you voted for and where you stand with, with immigration and with pro-choice and pro-life and, and all that stuff. I don't really care. My desire is to persuade you to look at Scripture, to see what does the Bible say about these things. Because we can get so easily caught up, okay? And you may have some great talking points, but as citizens of heaven, we have to see what does the Bible say about that before you make your own assumptions and opinions about, about how we should love people. Okay? Amen? Amen? Amen. All right, so, as you might have heard, we've been looking at Matthew 22. And this is like the, the foundation of where we get love God, love others, love Matthew 22, verse 36 onwards. And uh, we, we use this verse very often in our church as staff, because we want to remind ourselves of why we do what we do. And you'll find it everywhere and I may have to change the Wi-Fi password because I just said that to you now, okay? It says, which is the greatest commandment? Which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, this is Jesus, he says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. And the second is like the first. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law of the prophets. So here Jesus is is saying this profound, summarized version of what the entire prophets and the law is talking about. The first part is actually a quote from the Shema. It's a prayer that the Jewish community knew so well. It was their morning and evening prayer. It was a very common prayer, the centerpiece of the Jewish faith, They only exactly what Jesus was talking about. When Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. The second part of that, when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, that is a direct quote, a quote from the Old Testament, from the book of Leviticus. And I want us to go there, because we have to see what did the listener back then in the Old Testament hear when this was taught by Moses? And when Jesus says, says the same thing in the New Testament, what does it mean, what does it mean to them? And if so, what does it mean to us as a church and as a believer? So let's turn our Bibles to Leviticus 19, 19 from verses 9 onwards. I'm going to read a few verses here. So Leviticus 19, 9 onwards. It says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind you shall fear your god i am the lord you shall not do injustice in court you shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor you shall no, not go up around as a slanderer among your people and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor i am the lord you shall not hate your brother in your heart but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people and this is the quote but you shall love your neighbor as yourself i am the lord so when the jewish listener heard this from jesus they knew exactly what jesus was talking about these guys had this had this memorized they knew what Jesus was talking about, and he said, Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you noticed, there are certain words that are used more often, right? Repeated more than once. So there are three, there are three demographics that the Bible teaches us to love people, okay? The first demographic is your neighbor. So in the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew word used for neighbor simply means your fellow. Human being, your fellow Jewish member of the community. This was their family, a comrade, right? A companion. It was someone from your own tribe. Because back then, every tribe was given a lot of space to live, and they just lived there. So your neighbor was someone that you knew with your last name, maybe, and you just got along well, right? In most cases. So for the Jewish listener in the Old Testament, your neighbor meant your family. Now, things had changed. In Jesus' time, the Romans were now ruling. Israel. And your neighbor was not always people from your own tribe. There were people who were living there who were foreigners, who were not speaking the same language, who had a different belief system, had different culture, different traditions, right? And the command does not change. Secondly, we see the sojourner, the traveler. Old Testament times, if you were living in a town in the outskirts, you might see some folks passing by. And the f- interesting thing is the word traveler or sojourner in the Old Testament is gar, G-A-R means stranger, means someone who's looking for hospitality, newcomer lacking inherited rights the root word for that word gar is gur G-U-R and this word has some interesting meanings it means to seek hospitality it also means to stir trouble it also means strife it also means to fear to be afraid now why is that? Think about this. When there's a traveler coming through your city, right, there's a lot of fear in their hearts because they don't know the language, new culture, right? They may be poor. They could be lost. There may be robbers on the way. Lots could happen to these people who are traveling. At the same time, the folks who are living in these towns, there's some fear too because back then they could be spies. Who could be looking at the land and scouting out and then maybe attacking it later. So there was this tension with these foreigners who would travel through and say, I'm not can I trust you? You look as if you need help, but can I really trust you? Because you don't look safe to me. I don't know your language. You have a different belief. You worship different gods. You have different cultures and customs. I don't I don't get you. This was happening back in the old testament. Now, in Jesus' time, the New Testament, these travelers now are staying. Okay, we call them Californians, right? Uh, Fun story, so we were traveling, my wife and I and the kids were traveling from out of town back to Boise, and our last stop was at Twin Falls, about 10 o'clock at night, cold, windy, right? And uh, filling gas, and this this random two guys were filling gas beside us, and they started making fun of me. And I was in my shorts and my T-shirt, I didn't think much of, you know, because it was not too cold, right? They were kind of making fun about how I wasn't well-dressed for the weather in Twin, and they kept going on and on, wondering, what's, why are they picking on me, right? And then I, it just dawned on me that this was a rental car and I had California plates on. <laughs> so I said, hey, just so you know, you know, we live in Boise. They're like, oh, cool, you're good then. Oh, You'll be all good now. So it's like, <laughs> the funny thing is I realized that I was one step up above the Californians in Boise. So that, that's a good feeling. So the truth, though, the truth is that in the time of Jesus, a lot of folks were traveling through and settling. Now, the thing about travelers who settle, okay, especially when it's uh, in this time, there's not a sense of value and respect for the culture that's there. So you have Romans coming here, and, and you know, they worship the, the emperor. They speak different languages, and folks who travel with them, right? And the culture of Israel was changing drastically. And Jesus says, this is your neighbor. Love him. And I think so often we have the tension as things change in our society. We have the tension of how things are changing with culture in our community. And the message for us today does not change. The third category is the poor. Old Testament times, we had the widows, the orphans, the foreigners. we look at the story of Ruth and Boaz, Ruth was a foreigner and she had nothing left. And they had, they had no family, no one had no one helped them. The same thing was similar in the New Testament, too. We had the widows and the orphans. There's also this huge, this huge divide between the wealthy and the really poor. The, the taxes were ridiculous in this time. We had the imperial tax by the Romans. You had the, the state tax by the Jews, and we had the temple tax. And there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about us loving the poor and caring for the poor. 2,000 verses in the Bible. And I think, I love the fact that we, we have this opportunity in our church, that we, we, we push you to join what we call gospel communities. Because there is where we get to be the church, and love people, and care for the needy around us. We get to be the church and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Now I want us to go a little further and talk about what does it mean to really love? Because I think so often our definition of love is not the biblical definition. As citizens of heaven, I think our love looks a little different compared to what the Bible says. The first thing I want to mention is love is a command. Love is a command. This might sound very harsh because we don't like to be told to do anything, right? We want to have options. And yes, love is a choice. We choose to love. But if I put a lot of weight on the choice factor, there's a problem with the way I love them. Imagine if I just chose to love people. Is that the way God loved me, you know? While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for us. And I think this is the reason why, one of the reasons why, not the only one, we have such a huge divorce rate in the church in America because we, we fall in and we fall out of love because it's a choice. Today I feel like loving you and tomorrow I don't and I move on. It's a choice. But what if I I saw my wife and I said I am commanded to love you because Christ loved me and I look at God's word and I'm commanded to love you till I die. And no matter what happens, no matter how horrible life gets, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how we mess up that we will always be in love we'll committed to loving one another till we die. What would that look like? So I want us to remember that love is 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 a command that we Yes, we choose to respond to God, but it is a command for us to love one another the way He loves us. In John 13, verse 34, it says, A new commandment I give you, a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The next thing I want to talk about is love is a conviction. Love is a conviction. Matthew 22, verse 37 it says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. That's a big deal. That's a, that's, that's a lot. And then it says, and love your neighbor as, you, as yourself. You know, I think so often the word love is, we've, we've kind of cheapened it a little bit. I, I would say very much so. Have you, have you heard people say this? You know, I'm not sure if you have or not, but I've heard it quite frequently, and it and I've been thinking about it for a while, um, have you heard people say, I don't have to like you, but I'm commanded to love you? Or I'm supposed to love you because I'm a Christian or because the Bible says so? I don't know if you've said that yourself, if you've heard that. And I want to I wanna, I wanna talk about that a little bit because I think it's, it's important to understand why this phrase is not scriptural, why this phrase is a cop-out, Of being sincere in the way we love and i'll tell you why the first thing is when i say i don't have to like you but i must love you somehow in my head i have told myself that like is better than love that like is level two love is the bare minimum but like is better than love that's the way i understand love in my head the second thing is when i say that i don't have to like you but i must love you, then I'm saying that my love towards you is different from the, from the love that I have towards somebody else. I'm being partial. If I like you, i love you better. This guy, not so much. I don't like him, but i got to love him. And I don't understand what that love even looks like. What does it even mean? That I don't like you, but I can love you. I don't understand how that's even possible as a human being. I think what we mean by that is I'll tolerate you. I'll put up with you. In other words... And so we've cheapened the word love in that regard. And the third thing is, when I say I don't have to like you, but I must love you, I'm saying that I will love you the way I choose to love you, not the way God wants me to love you. Because I can, I can water it down, because you're not that important to me. You've hurt me, you've done bad things to me, so I don't care about you. I'm gonna give you this much of love, which is pretty much tolerating you. But this guy, this lady, this family, I like them a lot. So they get love, you get love, which is my version of what I think you deserve. That is not scriptural. That is not biblical. We as citizens of heaven need to look at what does the Bible say about loving people? What does that look like? Not the way we define love. Our love should look upside down, crazy different from the world. So I I've been trying my best to avoid using these the word like for people. This is why because like happens. Liking people happens naturally. If I go to the grocery store, right? And the cashier says hi to me and says hi to my kids, there's a connection there and like, "Ha, huh, nice person," right? Um, or I, I see a guy who likes the game cricket I'm like hey dude my buddy right there you know? so we, we have a lot of things that we say hey this guy likes my food he speaks my language or he has the same truck and we tend to like people based on these things and, and I don't do anything from my part to like someone or not like someone it just happens naturally it's a natural instinctive behavior I cannot depend on how I I cannot depend on that emotion to decide how I love people you just cannot do that so the way I, based on the Bible, because the Bible doesn't talk about us, us liking people. It talks about us loving people. So I'm, I am try my best to, to use the word like for things and love for people. So I like a good meal. I like, you know, I like my phone. I like my computer. But I love people. I love, I love my wife. I love my kids, right? I love my neighbor, So I think we have to train ourselves to not use the word like, because like happens, and our love towards people should not depend on how we like or dislike people. The third thing I want to talk about is that love is Christ-like. Love is Christ-like. You know, at the beginning I said that there are three demographics that Jesus was talking about, right? Your neighbor, the sojourner, and the traveler. No, the poor. There's one more. I lied to you, okay? The fourth... Option The fourth category is is the enemy, loving your enemy. Matthew 5, verse 44 says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who you love, What reward do you have? It's not even the tax collectors do the same. I think we should define a few things over here. We should define who is our enemy. Back in the time, in Jesus' time, the enemy was was the Romans. It was obvious. They were living among them. And when Jesus says, love your enemy, it meant to love the Romans. For us, what does that look like? Now, when when I say the word enemy, you know, I'm sure you have an image in your mind Maybe it's someone who is way out there doing some really horrible things to people, right? And that's the enemy, this nation or this kind of people that are out there. But I think so often we have people in our lives that, that we treat them as enemies that are here, that are in your neighborhoods, that are in your family, in your past. And I want to, kind of, I want to talk more about that because it's very easy to love someone who is your enemy that you don't know. I can pray for every person that I can think of that's on the news that's this evil person. There's no connection there. But there are people in our lives that have caused so much hurt, so much pain to you, and they are your enemy. You, you, you have resentment towards them. We call them boundaries. and I, Yes, we, do, we should have boundaries. We should have a distinction to know how to treat people in our lives. But, but there are people in all of our lives that, that have hurt, that have caused pain, and these are the people that Jesus is talking about. And he says, Love your enemy. You know, Jesus takes it one step further. He says, Love your enemy as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Think about that for a minute. You know, I'm not talking about self love here, okay? I'm not talking about how much you should love yourself and take care of yourself. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that we, as human beings, have an innate. Ability to love and care for yourself. When you're hungry, you go to the fridge, right? When you're thirsty, you get water to drink. When you're cold, you get a jacket on. When you're sick, you go to the hospital. Would you do the same thing for someone that you would consider has caused a lot of pain, a lot of hurt in your life? Would you care for that person that, that much to, in spite of what they've done to you in the past? That is what this is all about. And, you know, we are here in this building today. Praise God. Our buildings may change. The chairs may change. okay, The lights may change. It doesn't matter what changes over here. But as a church, as Revelation 22, we will not leave this and how this defines us as a church that should love God and love others. We should be known by the way we love people. It doesn't matter what they believe. It doesn't matter if they disagree with you on Facebook. It doesn't matter if they're pro-choice or pro-life. It doesn't matter if they're illegal, if they came illegally. It doesn't matter what they believe. It doesn't matter if they think that you are this hypocrite, this crazy Christian who does not believe in science. It doesn't matter what their opinions are about you. It doesn't matter. We are commanded to love people the way Christ loved us, and the way we are to love ourselves. You know, I think because of our hypocrisy in loving those who are not of us, we say we love them, but our love is so fake, it's so watered down, because we don't even like them. They know that. The world sees our hypocrisy, and when we say, yeah, we love everybody, but we really don't. We really don't. Because if I love someone as much as I love myself, my life will look different. I will not be so busy with my own life. I'll be looking for for ways to to bless people around me. We have to be the hands and feet of Jesus. While you and I were yet sinners, we were still enemies of God. We didn't even know who God was. Christ died for us. Why should we judge people before we even love them? That's God's work, not my job, not your job to judge the world. You know, the, the, the tension in this, in this topic is that if we claim to love God, but bear anger and hatred towards people, we are not truly followers of Jesus. We cannot do one without the other. We cannot separate the two. We cannot claim to love God and not love people the way God wants us to love people. So this couple of weeks, I've been really, really, God's been working in my heart to see if there are people in my life that I don't really love the way he wants me to love them. And I want to ask you this morning, you know, on, on Easter, if you were in our church, we um, left the sunrise service, we all came here. There were no walls yet, we had the, the studs visible, and all of us took Sharpies, remember that? And wrote people's names of people that we wanted to see saved to know Jesus someday. And I remember walking through and seeing certain names more than once on the walls. That's how much you wanted them to know Jesus. And I'm sure you remember where that spot is in this building. But I want to ask you, are there people in your life that have caused so much hurt that maybe you, you don't necessarily believe that they'll ever be in heaven? Maybe you don't want them in heaven. Maybe you wish somehow, a little bit maybe, maybe more, that they suffer on earth for what they've done to you. They put you through hell on earth, and they deserve to suffer. This is God's way of punishing them for what they've done to you, right? Do you have that towards anybody in your heart? Maybe someone, someone caused you harm. Someone really hurt you. Maybe someone raped you when you were young. Maybe someone killed one of your children, a drunk driver. Maybe it's an ex- ex-husband and ex-wife who caused so much hurt and heartache. Maybe it's your dad or mom who's abandoned you, who abused you. I don't know what that is in your life, but is there, if there's anyone in your heart that you feel like that person deserves nothing but suffering on earth and in eternity, That is your enemy. That is your enemy. And God's word compels us to love those people the way I love myself, the way you love yourself. Which means that if you know this person that you don't like, just don't want anything to do with that person, you know that person is in need, that you'll be the first one to knock on their door and say, hey, what do you need from me? How can I help you? That's the kind of love that we are to show uh, towards our enemies. I'm not saying that, that, that this person should become my best friend, okay? Um, there's, there's wisdom in having boundaries and discernment in that and having good, healthy boundaries. But we are to love those who persecute us, those who hurt us. And I want to mention this verse. This is another one that I, I think we should hear this morning. It's James chapter 4, verse 17. It says, So whoever knows the right thing to do, and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. So now you know. Now you know the truth about what we as citizens of, Jesus, of of heaven should love like, what our love should look like. We know that. And when I don't act upon it, when this does not transform the way I love people around me, that I am, I am living in sin. I'm willfully sinning against God. This morning we are going to, take, we're going to partake in communion together for the first time in our building. And I'm so thankful that our kids get to be here too and be a part of this. And the reason why we have kids is because we want our kids to see us repent. We want to see our kids see a regular service, usual service, and see us broken before God. They have to see us being transformed by God's word and this morning, I, I challenge you, I plead with you to not take communion without repentance. If there are people in your life that have caused a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, I want you to ask God to give you the grace to forgive them, to fully forgive them. And then I challenge you, I beg you to pray and say, God, I want to love this person the way I love myself. Mention their name while you pray. And don't partake in communion until you know that God is working in your heart, that you are free from this bondage that's been on your heart. Love brings freedom. Love brings freedom. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup. After supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup Of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord let every person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drink judgment on himself the body of Christ that was broken to us gives us healing Okay, And this morning, if you are struggling with this idea of forgiving people that have caused so much hurt, I pray that God will heal you, that you'll find healing in his presence. If you need prayer, we have people who can pray with you. Pray with your neighbor if you need to. Um, we have a prayer room back there as well just so you know if you want to get prayed for. Please get prayer. Be prayed for. Um, but I I really want you to do this as a family. So um, in the next few minutes, if you can, I want you to find your way to the communion table, get the sacraments. If you want to pray with someone, pray with someone. If you want to pray with your family, your kids, confess your sins. Let your kids see you broken before the Lord. Let them see you repent. Let them see you filled with love in your hearts. And we're not going to have any music. There's no music for the next couple of minutes. I want you to just respond to God and pray. And after that, we'll have the band sing us, play a few songs, and lead us in worship. I'm going to pray, and then you guys can um, partake in communion. God, we want to thank you because your word is alive. Your word is a two-edged sword that penetrates to our hearts and reveals places in us, in our hearts, that need to be cut off. Um, it reveals the darkness that's in us, God. We thank you that your spirit convicts our soul. And God, we pray that you will, will work in our hearts and heal us from, from the hurt that we've received by people. Help us to love the way you love us. Help, us. help us to love others the way we take care of our own being. We want our love to be defined by you and not the world. Now forgive us, God. Forgive us, God, for loving you less, for loving others less, and being partial in our love, and being selfish in our love. Forgive us, God, for being self-centered in who, in who we pick to choose to love and not love. As we partake in communion, God, you'll, you'll, you'll reveal yourself to us one more time in a profound way, and work in our hearts, and make us more, and more like your son, Jesus. We thank you for the cross. In our precious name we pray. Amen.